this morning. We have had an, an incredible uh, beginning of our service, and the best is yet to come because we're up here. That's where you need to cheer a little louder. Come on. We're, uh, we're continuing our series, uh, Love Fiercely, um, and it's all part of a greater series um, that we've been going in in a little while, and this is what R Pastor Rob has been leading us to, challenging us to, and that's the three words that you hear around here a lot, you hear written up, and it's this, live, love, lead. This is where we are to live, and if you're going to draw circles, and each one is going to be live, love, and lead, in the center of those circles, where they converge is where we need to set a target for our lives, where we need to live, how we need to prioritize. And these circles are biblical morality, biblical purposes, and biblical virtue, virtues. We're kind of uh, in this series, Love Fiercely, in that biblical virtues. How do we live our life? In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, it says this, Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. How do we do that? Loving fiercely is the challenge. Several weeks ago, we, we began to define what loving fiercely really looks like. And it's really this. It's the intense and purposeful act of affection. Intense and purposeful. I want to live my life purposeful with how I treat people, how I love Jesus, how I treat my family. I want to live on purpose. And we have this tagline in this series that, that I love, and it's really, really, it's this. Living fiercely committed to faith, marriage, family, community. There are four things there. And these are the four priorities in order that our life needs to be arranged in. Living fiercely committed to faith. My faith in Jesus Christ, that I follow him. Living fiercely committed to my spouse, my marriage. Maybe you're not married yet. Maybe it comes sometime. But if you are married, that's a second priority. You need to invest. You need to pray. You need to, to lead there. And the third one is, is my family. It, the, the, the circles, my, my kids, the circles I walk in, my extended family. And then the, the fourth one is community. These are, this is your work, this is your school, this is your neighborhoods. And, and we've been walking through this message. Pastor Caleb brought an incredible message on community last week. Listen to it. Let it challenge you. Pastor Rob talked about praying for your family um, on Mother's Day. Uh, Pastor Lexi talked about marriage. Um, we've been setting this up for uh, where we're going and these four things. Uh, Pastor Erica and I today are going to address this question. How do we raise and mentor a generation to love fiercely? How do we raise and mentor a generation to do exactly this? Because there is a generation watching. There's a generation watching you. How do we raise them to live this way? Now what's really cool is we have an opportunity to hit this kind of from two angles. Pastor Erica, um, which I, I, I do, I was asked this earlier, isn't your wife's name Erica? Pastor Erica's not my wife. Uh, she's our kids' pastor. My wife is Erica as well, so it's just a great, solid name. I like, I personally like the name. Uh, I do too. Yeah, they, good, I'm glad you do. Um, pastor Erica is our kids' pastor, and I know you've got to say that, that BCA, we are blessed to have such a gift as Pastor Erica here serving, serving your kids. Uh, the way that she loves not just kids, but people. The way that she loves people is contagious. And, and she's going to bring an angle to this from her heart that shows us what it looks like to mentor and raise a generation. Maybe they're not your biological children, but what is it for you and I? Because this is something, something for everybody here. How do we raise and pour into a generation? And I'm going to look at it from the angle of a parent. I have three kids of my own. 
How do we raise and mentor a generation to love fiercely? We're going to look at it this way, and as, as we begin to prepare this together, we ask that daunting question, how do we do this? And, and I'll be honest, I'm a parent. I've been, a, I've been a parent for 18 years. I got that right, right? My daughter's right over there. Okay, good. Um, whew, uh, I've been a parent for 18 years, and I'm still trying to figure this whole thing out. And we looked and we said, you know what? The best example that we can find is the example of our father and our shepherd. His name's Jesus. And what the good news is, is the Bible tells us how he operates and how he leads us. So we jumped into John chapter 10. And in John chapter 10, we read about the good shepherd. And, and, and we looked at that and we said, listen, if we are to do this right in any way, shape, or form, we need to follow our good shepherd. What did he do to lead us? It's how we need to lead this next generation and our children. So we're going to pull out four things of the so many, many things in John chapter 10. What are four things we can do to mentor and parent, raise a generation to love fiercely? That's the angle we're going to hit it at, and there's something for everybody here. So as we look at, look at John chapter 10, Erica, what is, what is one thing, the first thing that pops out to you when we read John chapter 10? First, the idea of committing to be consistent. We read in John 10, 3 through 4, and it says this, The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. See, we see a beautiful picture here of what it means to be known. Because in order to be known, there needs to be relationship. So if we're trying to encourage and inspire and, and reach this next generation, we have to walk in relationship with them. Because just like this passage tells us, the sheep follow the shepherd because the shepherd is always there. The shepherd protects them. The shepherd feeds them. The shepherd is the voice that's always speaking, having them come out of the gate. He's in relationship with them. And if you notice it, all through uh, John 10, it never says that the shepherd, like, kicks the sheep out the gate, right? Or, like, prods and pokes the sheep in a forceful way. It says he calls, and they just answer, and they follow. And so I think when I look at this next generation, we see a generation who is in desperate need of people who are authentic, who are consistent, and who are committed to seeing them walk in relationship with Jesus. And I'm not just talking about our, our pastors here. I'm not just talking about people in leadership positions. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about people who are willing to take time. And I always like to use this phrase, insert themselves in the next generation. I feel like that's what I try to do. I'm just going to show up to anything and everything, whether that's soccer games, dance recitals, graduations, leading a small group, and... Not to do a shameless plug, but I'm going to anyway. VBS, hello, what a cool opportunity to gather together, hang out with students for a week as we invite hundreds of kids in here. Some of these kids are going to hear about Jesus for the very first time. Yeah. And how cool yeah. would it be if you were the one to pray over them as they accept Jesus? I mean, how amazing is that? It's what God's called you to do. And so I would encourage you, you can't have mentorship if you don't have relationship. Hmm. Committing to consistency and showing up in their lives. If we're going to win a generation, we all got to be on this boat. We all got to be there. Committing to consistency, being there. Uh, the second thing I want to pull out is really from a verse that she already said. And, and, and the idea is this. We need to set the example. But the verse that, I, that, that just hit me as I studied was, was this one. It's uh, John 10, verse 4. She already read it, but it says this. After he gathered his own flock, here it is, he walks ahead of them, and they follow because they know his voice. 
I underline that in my Bible and I highlight it. He walks ahead of them. Here's why I love serving Jesus. Because he just doesn't, he, he's not just this God up in heaven who says, go do this, don't do that, go over there. He came and showed us the way. I can pick up Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospels, and I can read about how my shepherd lived, and I can walk in those footsteps. He leads the way. And, and as, as we look at this, how our shepherd led us, you need to understand, and this is not a, wow, mind-blowing, this is a kind of a no-dust statement, but we have to set the example for our children, for this next generation, of how to live fiercely committed. We have to set the examples. If, if you want your kids to get angry, go ahead and show them how you get angry at everything. <laughs> Ouch, stop it, Pastor Adam. Listen, here's the deal. If you want your kids to be patient, make patience a priority. That's hard to do. Easy to say, hard to do. I've been guilty. If you want your kids to be kind, live with kindness. It's simple yet difficult. Because these kids are watching. Uh, my, my wife, Erica, is a school teacher. She teaches fourth grade in the public schools. And, um, and uh, we often, after she gets home, I ask her, how was your day? And she tells me funny stories about elementary kids. And it's great. And we laugh at these kids. And they're cute, I'm sure. Um, I don't know many of them because she's in the classroom with them. But, but one day, I, the other day, we were talking like, <clears throat> about some of the difficulties right now. And she said, what we're finding in our school, and I don't know if it's true in every school, but in their school, one of the, the, the biggest growing problems in kindergarten and first grade are physical altercations. They're, they're, they're fighting. Like, like not just, oh, I don't like you, but actually fighting, fighting. And she, she, she told me this story and, and how the, this, this fight broke out and the vice principal was trying to split up these kids and had one in one corner, one in the other corner, and he stuck one under his desk in a nice, gentle way, I'm sure. And... But, but they're fighting, and, and, and like, these kids should know better what's going on. And maybe you've said it, because I have, like, what is wrong with this generation? Have you said that? And then immediately, like, you know what? They're just repeating what they see. <laughs> Ouch. They're just doing what they know. Like, like, maybe we get frustrated at what's going on in politics and news, and, and we, we lash out in these verbal tirades. Well, these kindergartners, first graders, don't know how to uh, wax eloquently like you do. <laughs> in frustration, they lash out because they're seeing it. And we want to blame a lot of things for the destruction of this generation. We want to blame a lot of things like, and, and I'm going to go here for a moment. I hope you love me when I'm done, but <clears throat> this pandemic we recently went through, we easily say these words, man, this pandemic really destroyed a generation, didn't it? Don't get me wrong, there was a lot to that. But I believe it wasn't necessarily the pandemic, but our reaction to it that they saw. Our reaction to politics, our reaction to somebody cutting us off, our reaction to our boss at work. We are teaching them reaction instead of how to respond. There's a big difference between reacting and responding. Reacting, I just lash out from my gut, and I said, no patience, I'm just, ah! And I yell. Responding is when I can stop, pause, think, ask God for wisdom, and respond correctly. Because some of the events in our world, we do need to respond to. But they're watching us. They're watching how you love Jesus. I, I, I read, uh, read this and it stuck with me a few weeks ago. It's called The Generational Fade. It says this, parents, 
begin by don't, by they, they don't make faith a priority. Their kids grow up and it becomes less of a priority for their kids. Those kids grow up and make it no priority for their kids. Those kids grow up with no concept of God whatsoever. The fate is quick. How we live our life, how we live with passion, they're watching. And I said this before and I'll say it again. Let your kids catch you worshiping Jesus. Let your kids catch you reading the Bible. Let your kids catch you loving and serving, having patience. Listen, if, if you have set the example and, and you said, I have messed up more times than I care to admit, and my kids have seen it. I've messed up. Adam, stop talking because this one hurts. What I will tell you is this. You ha- now have an opportunity to show them how to course correct. You have an opportunity to show them how to receive forgiveness and change. Walk with them in that. Set the example. Here's the promise, Proverbs 22, 6. Lead or direct your children into the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. We got to lead by setting the example. Everything worth fighting for requires sacrifice. We might always not like to hear that, but in John 10, 11, it says this. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd sacrifices his life for his sheep. Mm-hmm. See, we look at the life of Jesus, and we see the ultimate sacrifice. He went willingly died on the cross for you and for me, knowing that there's going to be some days when we don't choose him, that there's going to be some days when we turn our back, we doubt, we make the wrong choice, but yet he still chose to give us that unconditional love, to sacrifice his life so that we didn't have to. And so sacrifice means that it's not about me. It never was about any of us. It's always about furthering God's kingdom and the mission that he has for each and every one of us. And God's not asking you to be crucified on a cross. He's asking you to serve, to pray for this next generation, to mentor this next generation. Like Adam was saying, to be an example to this next generation. Matthew 20, 28 says this. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mm -hmm. So what do we sacrifice? I've pulled just a couple of quick things. And it looks different for every single person. But maybe it's comfort. Maybe you have to sacrifice a little bit of your comfort. Maybe God is stirring in your heart right now to serve in an area that you're like, that makes me feel really uncomfortable. Well, sometimes we have to take a risk and step out in faith, amen? I've learned as, as uncomfortable as things can be, that's where I tend to grow the most, and that's where I tend to exercise humility. <laughs> what about time? Maybe it's sacrificing time. I feel like we live in a season where we use the word I'm busy a lot. And if I could be as bold as I can, uh, you're not that busy. You have a lot of things to do. Don't get me wrong. But it's about priority. Yeah. And it's about what matters to you. That's true. And so maybe it looks like you choosing someone from a different generation and taking them out to coffee, praying over them, praying with them, laughing with them, crying with them, all those different things. Maybe it's pride. Maybe you've tried to mentor someone and to, to serve in an area before and it didn't work out exactly how you thought it would be. Trust me, I'm in kids ministry, I know. You feel like you're, you're heading an awesome message and you're going to just bring everybody to Jesus today. And, and a kid raises his hand, you're so excited, they just have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Try not to let it get you, okay? I've done this uh, for a few years, I'm like, every time. All right. Yep. But you know what? It's often been said that the kids that need the love the most show it in the most unloving ways. Hmm. So are you willing to love them? Yeah. Are you willing to, to set aside pride and, and to exercise humility and say, I'm going to show up. I'm going to show up for this next generation. Because if you don't, the world will. The enemy will. And we all know what that looks like. Yeah. 
I want to share uh, a story about my family, which is, they're here today, so shout out to them. I get to do that because I have the mic. <laughs> I don't think anyone will take it from me, but we'll see. Um, so growing up, my parents always made Jesus the center of everything that we did. And I remember um, I was about 10 years old, and our church at the time didn't have enough finances to hire a facilities team. And so our pastor had asked everybody to sign up to uh, come and clean the church on Saturday night to get it ready for Sunday. Not a lot of people signed up, let me just tell you. Uh, but my dad signed my family and I up. And so my sisters and I, who are younger than me, would go every Saturday night and we would clean toilets, we would squeegee windows, vacuum, get the chairs all set up. And um, how many of you know, kids, that's not their favorite activity on a Saturday night. So my poor parents had to sacrifice on our uh, drive all the way there of our complaining. Sorry. Uh, but Saturdays quickly became my favorite day of the week. Because my parents instilled in my sisters and I the value of serving, the value of humility. Because they didn't just say, hey, I need, you to, I need you to clean this, I need you to do that. They said, this is why we do it. We're getting the church ready for people to encounter Jesus tomorrow. This is ministry. Nothing is too big, nothing is too small. It all matters. Yeah. They knew that it wasn't just a teaching moment for right then and there, but it was for the 10 years and the 20 years and the 30 years down the road. And I know that my sisters and I are faithfully serving the Lord because of my parents and because of their parents who made faith in Jesus the center of everything that they did. And so I just want to encourage you, what does that look like for your family? What is something that you can do today to instill that faith in your family? Maybe it looks like a sacrifice. Maybe in the moment you're explaining to your kids and they don't understand, but one day they will. And I'm so thankful that my parents brought us there every Saturday night to clean those toilets, to squeegee those windows, because I know that I'm walking in faith today because of them. Your family and your community is worth fighting for. That sacrifice piece, we all know. We all know it requires sacrifice. But did you catch what she said there? That her mom and dad didn't just do sacrifice, they explained why. Help your kids help this next generation understand the why behind what we do, behind who we serve. One more point before we're done here. And there's, this is the fourth one, and, and it's this. We need to recognize where the real battle is. We need to recognize where the real battle is. It says this in John 10, 10. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Parents, mentors, our job is to provide for our kids, to give them a, a rich and satisfying life, to teach them, to guide them. That doesn't always look like fun. You're, you're sacrificing washing windows and toilets, but our job is to teach them and train them. That is our shepherd's job to protect. But he says in here that there's a thief, and his purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. This thief's name is Satan, and his job is to destroy your children to destroy your grandchildren, to destroy your nieces and nephews. And if I look at the world around me, looks like he's doing a good job in some cases, doesn't it? He's destroying a generation through things like abortion, sexual confusion, anger, division. There are so many heavy, heavy things that the enemy is very, very good at. And I wish I had time sitting up here to, to walk you through each of those and give you great detail and help us to understand that. We don't have time in this setting. 
I do want to invite you back tonight at our parental advisory night. Um, it's at 6 p.m. It's upstairs. We're going to talk about some of this stuff. We're going to talk about social media and technology and the, the dangers of it, the guidelines we need to use when giving our kids this. We, we want to uh, talk about uh, mental illness. Anxiety and depression are higher than they've ever been in this generation, this younger generation and our kids. This should alarm us. What do we do? How do we handle that as parents? This is heavy. We're going to talk tonight about gender identity and sexual confusion. What is all that? What is going on in our world? What is the biblical perspective of that? We're going to talk about that tonight. These are the things that the enemy is doing to destroy a generation. Listen, we're going to talk about that and we're going to grow our brains and dig deeper into it. But what we have to understand is this, the real battle for this generation is not in what we know, but how we pray. Did you hear that? We need to know. Do not use that as an excuse to not read and study. We need to know. But the real battle is not in what we know, but how we pray. How you pray for the next generation. Our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. We know where the battle is. When I see the enemy start to rise up and attack my family, attack my kids, I start to rise up in my prayer and say, Satan, get your hands off of my kids. I'm not going to let it happen without some kind of fighting back. We need to pray because that's where the battle is fought. That's where the battle is won. There's a story, and I'm going to kind of end my, my point with this. It's, uh, Jesus tells it. It's a parable. It's called the prodigal son. Most of you would be familiar with that. If you're not, an incredible story to read in Luke chapter 15. I encourage you when you leave today, go read it, because it is really the gospel. It is what Jesus did for you and I. But you look at this story, and, and the story is this. Jesus says there once was a father, and he had two sons. The younger son comes to the father and says, Dad, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. I'm done. I don't want to live in your house. I don't want to follow your rules. I don't want to serve your God. Give me my inheritance, my money. I'm out. See you later. What catches me is that the dad didn't argue back and fight back, but the dad gave the inheritance. The son leaves. And wasted all on living and while living, living for the world, and, and there was a famine in the land, and he's got nothing left. He's serving this other farmer and sitting with these pigs and longing to eat what the pigs eat because he's got nothing. And he comes to his senses and he says, the servants in my dad's place have it better than I do. Maybe I'll go back to my dad. And, and, and just ask to be a servant. Maybe he'll accept me that much. And, and the Bible says in, in, in Luke 15, 20, it says, as while the son was still a long way off heading home, while the son was a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. Here's the deal, and I've said this before, but this grips me every time I read the parable of the prodigal son. The only way to see something from a distance is to be looking for it. I believe in the words Jesus says in this parable, what he's saying is this dad never stopped praying for this son. This dad never stopped praying and he was watching for the day God would answer that prayer. If you are in this room and you have a prodigal, that pain is real. Never stop praying till the day Jesus calls you home. If you have children, 
Never stop praying for them. Cover them. Fight for them on your knees. I know you do, but I want to challenge you to keep going, praying for them. That's where the battle is won. It's on our knees. Two weeks ago, Pastor Rob gave us this. There's some more in the the lobby if you need them. Church, those watching online, this is gold. Don't throw it away. Pray for your family. These are seven ways to pray. This is gold. Pray this daily. If you need guidance, pray for your family. We got to be people of prayer. There's many of us gathering at 6 p.m. on Sunday nights praying for families. We pray through this. But I want to give you three additions to this that I want to challenge you that God has laid on my heart. I believe in, like it says here, I believe in praying scripture for your family. The first one is this. I want to challenge you to pray for covering and protection for your family. Psalm 512. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover them with favor as a shield. I pray for my kids every single day. God, would you cover them with your favor as a shield? God, would you cover them? Pray for protection. I want you to pray for the next one. I want you to pray that your kids get caught when they fall into sin. I know kids are not going to cheer for that one. <laughs> Listen, you don't pray this in, in order to, I got you. If that's your heart, stop. I pray this that my kids would have a conscience to listen to the Holy Spirit. And I pray this, the, the, Hebrews 12, 6, for the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. I pray that my kids get caught when they slip up. And then on the reverse of that, because we can't just leave it there, I pray for my kids that they get caught when they're doing right. When they're serving, when they're washing toilets and windows, I pray they get caught. I pray that impacts them. In Galatians 6, 9 says this, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest, of, harvest if we do not give up. The battle is won on our knees when we pray. In our heart with all this, and I hope it was conveyed this morning that uh, this wasn't just to inspire you for a couple minutes here that we get to share this morning, but that, that you would allow God to just search your heart and say, hey, where do, you, where do I fit into this? Because every single person does. God wants you to be serving. God wants you to be investing in your family, in the next generation. And so don't leave here today just, oh, that was nice. We want you to leave here and to do something about it. This is your call to action. I'm going to read a few verses from Peter, 1 Peter 5, 2 through 4, and it says this. Care for the flock that God has entrusted you with. Watch over it willingly and not grudgingly. For it's not what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Hmm. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And I love this last verse. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending honor and glory. Would you stand with me? I know the task of raising and mentoring a generation is huge. But can I tell you this? There's no greater privilege. Maybe you don't have kids. If you don't have kids, look at me. We need you. We need you to fight for this generation. Maybe you're in high school. Junior hires are watching you. You have somebody to mentor. Junior hires, you have the elementary kids watching you, longing to be like you. 
you got somebody to mentor. Aunts, uncles, we need you to love these children, love these kids. Grandmas and grandpas, I know that's where the prayers really are. I know. Parents, our job is big. Wherever you're at, we need you on the team. If we're going to rescue this next generation and help them to serve Jesus for a lifetime, to be faithfully committed. I'm going to pray and we'll be done. But I want to challenge you in this. Would you take a moment before you leave and grab your connection card and maybe there's a family prayer request we can partner with you on. Maybe go online to our, our, our connection card and, and maybe there's just a prayer request. Grandmas, grandpas, aunts, uncles. You don't, I, don't, I don't need all the details. We want you to know that we want to be beside you in prayer. We want to rally a prayer team. Let us know how to pray with you because we're in this together. I'm going to invite the prayer team up. They're going to come up here. Maybe you came in with something that's, that's heavy and you need somebody to partner with you to walk alongside you. They're going to be down front to pray. We got a challenge. We got an incredible opportunity. We got an incredible privilege to help this next generation love fiercely. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity we've had here today to seek you to love you, to hear your word. God, I pray right now that you begin to move in us. Help us to find something that we can hang on to and go live. God, help us to be the example, to do something different today. God, I pray for those in this room that whose heart's broken because there is a prodigal in their life. God, I pray you'd return the prodigals in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And we will commit to pray and watch. God, I pray that you would rescue and protect this generation. And it wouldn't be a generation we write off and say, what's wrong with? But we look at and say, oh, look what's coming. Church, get ready. World, get ready, because these are world changers. God, we love you. We worship you and we serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Thank you for being with us this morning. Again, if you need somebody to pray with you, our prayer team's down front. We know we love you, praying with you. We got a very great privilege ahead of us. God bless. Have a great day.